judge not lest you be judged. You heard that before? That's, that's actually in the Bible. Uh, it's one that's a, a favorite of a lot of people. We like to grab that, kind of hold on to that uh, in our culture. We like to repeat that one and say it a lot. And uh, what happens with a lot of phrases in the Bible that we kind of grab out and hold on to, uh, what happens a lot is we kind of err to way to one side or the other. Uh, in our culture today, a lot of times we grab those words of Jesus and we kind of pull them out. And then that says uh, that you can never say anything about what anybody else is doing anywhere at any time because oh, it's right there. Judge not lest you be judged. And we start to use that as a well, you can't ever say anybody's wrong. And that becomes kind of normal in our modern context today and if you if you've heard that but you would know very quickly that becomes un, an untenable position you can't really live that way All i have to do is turn on the tv this week and you'd see real quickly that there are things that we see happening and going on that we say no no, no justice needs to be done that is wrong and it should be judged and you, all you have to do is, is see what happened in in boston this week and people are quickly going no something has to be done about that and so when we say judge not let's well, we don't mean that about everything. There are some things that we would say have to be dealt with. And, and, and part of that is in each and every one of us is uh, the desire for justice, the desire for things to be set right. And the reason that is there, the Bible tells us, is we're made in God's image or we're created after his likeness. And so we yearn to see things that are set right, things that are out of place, that are wrong. And, and that's in all of us in, in, in one way or another, because we have the marks of our creator of being made in his image. But what happens sometimes is we can swing far to the other side and we go, oh, yes, there are things that are wrong and things to need to be done about it. And so I'm going to be the one I'm going to appoint myself to be the one to judge everything. And I'll go forth and I'll tell everybody where they're wrong and I'll, st- I'll lay down the law with everybody and I'll start to call it all out. And so what happens is even in that marks of our creator, we can go so far to then we begin to judge people's intentions and what they meant by what they said. Even when we're not sure and we start to go too far to the other side. And so we can see that swing to both sides and in both ways. And so how do we walk forth biblically faithful? And so that's part of what we're going to talk about this morning in a first Corinthians chapter four, as we continue in our series, as we're just working our way through first Corinthians four, as we're going to look at those verses that Larry read for us, I'll remind you if you, if you're using the Bible that looks like this in the pew, that's on page 619, if you want to follow along there. But as we do this, and as we look at what Paul addresses today, I want us just to think about how we're to walk in this world and how we are to deal uh, with this struggle of wanting to see justice and and wanting to see things set right and wanting to see those things, but yet faithfully letting God be on his throne without elevating ourselves to a place where we don't belong. And that's a delicate balance because there are some things that scripture says is clearly wrong. And there are some things that we're supposed to speak up for. And then there's some things that maybe go beyond what our uh, knowledge gives us license to say. And so that's kind of where we're going this morning and how I want us to think about that. And so we're going to be in first Corinthians four to do that. But before we jump into that, let's pray. And then we'll look at first Corinthians four, one to 17 together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and it is active, that it is eternal, that we can come uh, to your word today. And these words that Paul wrote down inspired by you some 2000 years ago are just as relevant to our hearts and our situations today. And so we just ask that through your spirit, you'd come into this place that you would enlighten our hearts, that you would show us 
that you would guide us, you would teach us, that you would use our word to correct us, to bring us closer to you and ever more dependent on what you've done for us in Jesus. We pray that his name would be lifted up in our time here together this morning. We pray that uh, we just confess that without your spirit, we're hopelessly lost. And so we pray that you would just be here freely moving to guide us in our time. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And so as we think about this idea of this, the judging and the way we look at things and the way we see things, there's really two postures you can take that, that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 4. And one is he talks about the puffed up person. And we'll talk about what that means in just a second. And then he talks about... Uh, the servant of Christ or the steward of the mysteries of God. And so there's really two different ways we can look at things. And so that's kind of how we're going to go with this this morning, just as that is the background is first is what does this puffed up person look like and what does it lead to? And then secondly, what is a servant of Christ or a steward of the mysteries of God? It kind of puts those two together. What does that servant of Christ look like in the way we go about these things? And then lastly, how do we move from being the puffed up person to the, to the servant of Christ? And I think you'll see when we compare those two, we much would rather be the servant of Christ than the, the puffed up person. And so that's the way we're going to go at it this morning. And so let's just begin right there with we're going to start with the puffed up person first and and how does that lead to judging others and looking down and elevating ourselves to a place that we don't belong in and so look at what paul says in verses five and six we're going to start right there verses five and six so five he says therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time before the lord comes who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart then each one will receive his commendation from god I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. And so when we get into our context, and if you've been with us as we're walking through first Corinthians, or maybe, you know, first Corinthians fairly well, what's going on here is there's a lot of people in the church in Corinth that are very puffed up. They've become very arrogant very full of themselves. And Paul hears about this and he writes this letter to correct a lot of things. And he's, and he's been kind of building up and laying the groundwork. And now in chapter four, he really gets kind of full on correcting some of the things of where they are. And he starts to address this idea of them being puffed up. If you remember from a few weeks back, if you were here with us, we talked about in the culture in Corinth, it was an intellectual center and lots of teachers would come and they'd lay forth their philosophies and they would talk and, and people would go, yeah, yeah, I like that philosophy, so I'm going to be with that guy. And they'd start following them and studying their teaching and then it would kind of give them an identity. Oh, look, I'm with this teacher over here, or this guy over here or whatever. And so what had happened is the same thing was happening in the church in Corinth. Some people were going, I'm with Paul and some are saying, I'm with Apollos. Apollos is the guy that comes after Paul and is the pastor in the church. And some are going, no, no, I'm with Peter. And so what happens is they get very puffed up because they're associating themselves with other people, with other teachers. And they start to think, oh, I've got it more together than those people over there, even within the same church. Right. Us, us over here with Paul, we've got it together better than those guys over there with Apollos. And so they start to kind of fight and not get along. And they're looking down on each other and they're judging each other. And you see all this coming, uh, uh, coming to the surface in the church in Corinth. And that's what Paul's writing to. And when we think about this, this is a very common problem today. It's no different today. In fact, I saw an article that somebody had posted uh, that, I, that I ended up reading a blog post this week. And it was written by uh, 
this one person attacking a well-known pastor and just laying into all these things and just ripping them apart and going after all these things. And as I read through the article, I knew the book that they were referencing and they weren't even attacking what the person said. It's what we call a, a straw man argument. They were attacking something that they, they didn't even say. And as I read the article, a lot of the attacks were even coming from uh, just kind of insinuation about what they didn't say or the way they said it. And so I'm going to make leaps and say what they really mean is this and that. And it's two people that are supposed to be Christians. And this one is attacking the other, just vehemently going after him. And as I read that, I just thought, man, this is no different than where we are today. We're so quick to judge one another and look down and, and think we know the intentions of other people's hearts when we don't. And so I was reading that article, I was thinking how, how appropriate it is as we look at 1 Corinthians 4. And what really is happening and what we could say is happening when that happens in a very real way is we're taking God's place. Right. The way Paul starts in this and he talks about how God is the one that judges and he sees all things. And when we start to say, well, they said this, but I really think they mean this. So I'm going to attack them. We're taking the place of something we can't know and we don't know. And we're putting ourselves in God's shoes. It's a scary place to be. And so that's what's going on in the church in Corinth. And you see it a lot in our culture Today And so I was thinking about this, you know, and there's there's this idea of, of trying to discern, well, well, how sinful is that person over there? And, I, and I'm going to look and I'm going to say, pronounce and know and, and pretend like I see all of it. And, you know, now, there were some people that came to Jesus in Luke chapter 13 that tried to do the same thing. And they come to Jesus and you don't, you don't have to turn there, but you can read it later. The first five verses of Luke 13, they come to Jesus and they start telling him about some tragedies that happened. They say, Pilate killed a bunch of people over here. And then there was this tower that fell over here. And then they turn to Jesus and they say, did that happen? Because those people are worse sinners, right? And so what they're trying to do, what the people are trying to do is put themselves in the place of God and figure out why that happened, right? And so they ask Jesus the question. They say, is it because they were worse sinners than everybody else? I want you to hear Jesus's answer, what he says to him. He says, no, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Right? You hear what Jesus is saying? He very quickly says, no, no, don't worry about what's going on in their heart and trying to discern things that you can't know. But you repent. You tend to your own heart and don't worry about coming and pronouncing judgment on all these people and saying, well, those people are worse sinners over there. And that's why that happened. And so Jesus very quickly cuts that off and, and, and steps us back to know you, you tend your own heart. You worry about what's going on in your own heart that you would even be asking those questions, that you'd be looking at that. And so I want us just to think about that. And, and, and by the way, just as a side note, I want to make sure this is real clear as we're walking through this. We can err on one side or the other, like I said at the beginning. Right? We can start to pronounce judgment on everybody or we can say, oh, well, you can never say anything. Right. Even in the context here and what we're looking at and what Paul's saying and the way he's teaching them, by the way, he is correcting them. He is telling them where they're off in some things. Right. In verse 14, he says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Right. So he is correcting them. He is telling them where they're off. So it doesn't what we're talking about doesn't mean that you never, ever say to somebody, hey, I think you're off here. Right. That's, that's not what we're saying. Right. In fact, if you look at the very beginning in verse one, it says he's talking about you should regard us as servants of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God. And he says, moreover, it is required that store of stewards that they be found faithful. 
And even right there, what Paul's talking about, stewards of the mysteries of God. What is a steward of the mystery of God? The mysteries of God. God has told us who he is through his word. And he says, so for you to be a steward of the mysteries of God, of God's word, you have to be faithful. That means you have to be faithful to what it says, which means there's going to be times when you have to speak up for things that are wrong. Now, that's not you judging. Now, it can come across very judgmental if you're not careful how you do it. And Paul gives us a great example here of how to do it. He says, I'm not trying to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Right? He's lovingly saying, hey, you're off here. And so there are times as a believer, especially within the church, that you're going to have to do that. If you have a dear brother in Christ and you find out that he's cheating on his wife, guess what? You have to tell him you can't do that. This is so clear in scripture. You can't do that, brother. And you say it as lovingly as possible and you come alongside and and you're not now saying I'm better than you are because I'm telling you this. But lovingly, you have to come along inside and say this this isn't going to work out. Right. It's not loving if you don't speak up when you see something that's just way out of bounds and you don't address it. And so I want to make sure that we see that clearly, because that is part of what we're talking about. There are times when you stand up lovingly and speak the truth. That's not the main thing we're talking about today. In fact, we'll probably get to that in in chapter five next week, because that goes to a lot of that and the way we hold each other accountable and step up when things aren't right, especially within the church among brothers and sisters in Christ. But 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 here I want us to think about uh, this idea of judging. And when we start to look down on other people and I want us to even think about why do we do that? Right. Why are there so many blog posts when I go online, Christians ripping apart other Christians and they seem to really enjoy it. Right. Because there are a lot of articles like that and a lot of people doing that and a lot of time spent on that. And I often wonder, why is that? Why are we so quick to say, oh, that guy must, you know, quickly to go over and point out other people's faults? You know, why is it that we do that? And well, the the first reason and the big reason is is real clear in Scripture is that we're sinful, right? That we are all born into our sin. We are all sinful people. We're all self-centered. We can be very selfish. We can we can look at everything trying to. But but I want you to go deeper than that. Why do we compare? Why do we do that? Why are we quick to point out those things and look to judge other people? I think the reason is we're we're seeking self-validation. It makes me feel better about me if I can look at somebody else and go, oh, well, they're the worst sinner. Right. Yeah, I may not have everything together, but at least I'm not that guy. Right. And we start to do that and we start to talk that way and we start to to think. And and what happens is it it helps us feel a little smarter, a little more together. I'm not quite as bad as I thought. Yeah, I'm not smart, but. I'm smarter than that guy, you know, that type of thing. And we start to do that and we start to do that in all ways. You know, that happens uh, in my house every single day, pretty much, maybe not every day, but probably 95 percent of the time I walk into the room and I see one of my sons punching the other one and I catch him and I see him do it. And I go, what are you doing? Every time, every time the answer, well, he hit me first. He was making a face at me. He was pushing me. He was looking at me wrong. We quickly every and we do it in all different ways. It's more obvious when we're kids like that. We don't hide it as well. But what we do is is we quickly defer. Well, he did it, too. Or he's just as bad as I am or he's worse than I am because he hit me first. And we quickly do that. And it's, it's a way to deflect off of ourselves and make us feel better. Right. Yes, I know I've messed up. But if I can find somebody else who's messed up worse, then it makes me feel a little better about myself. 
And what happens when we do that, it leads to seeing yourself as something that you're not. Right. If you're constantly comparing yourself to other people and you can always find somebody that doesn't that's maybe got a little more going wrong at that time. And so then it makes you feel better. It's kind of like if I go down the street, two houses over from me, there's a 10 and 11 year old boys that play basketball all the time. So if I go play basketball with them every day, guess what? I could probably dominate them. Right. They're 10. And so if I play basketball with them every day, all the time, I could start to go, man, I'm pretty good. Right. And from the outside, everybody else is going, why is that idiot over there playing with the 10 year olds and blocking their shots? And, you know, it's it's we, we, we can we can deceive ourselves into thinking something that we're not right. And so when we start to compare and do that all the time, we can start to get a false sense of who we are. That's exactly what's happening in Corinth. And that's what Paul's addressing. He goes in and he starts this church and he, he gets it going and he's teaching the gospel and he's telling them. And then he goes on and then he hears that they're all fighting and looking down on each other because I'm with Paul and I'm with Apollos. And it's like, what is going on? And that's what he writes to him. Look at verses seven to ten and what he says. For who sees anything different in you? Remember, he's writing to the church in Corinth and these people that are doing this. And he says, what do you have that you did not receive? And if then you received it, why do you boast as you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. And by the way, it helps to think as you're reading eight to about ten. There's some sarcasm in what Paul's saying. OK, it helps to, to think of it and see it that way. Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you have become kings and would that you would did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last as all of all. Like men sentenced to death because we become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. And do you see what Paul's saying? He's going, here's this church and he helped come and start. And now they're saying, because I'm with Paul, I'm somebody. And Paul goes, do you know anything about my life? Right. Do you know what's going on with me as I leave here and I'm thrown in jail and I'm beaten and all these things? You know, one commentator said it really well. And I like the way he said it. It says it like this. He contrasts his own actual situation with the one they pretend to have. And he is, of course, being very heavily sarcastic. Right. So he's comparing himself with them. And he's, he says, uh, we are fools and you are wise. We are weak and you are strong. You are celebrated and we are nobodies. Paul pictures himself going or Paul's picture of himself going around the Mediterranean world in and out of trouble. Prison, danger and scorn is designed to shake them out of their complacency. He says, you're saying you're somebody because you're with Paul. And he says, do you know who Paul is? Do you know what my life looks like? And so he's trying to shake them out of seeing their false way that they're seeing themselves. And he's going, that's not really reality. And so he's trying to kind of shake them out of this and see they've been become puffed up because I'm with Paul or I'm with Apollos. And so when we start to do that and we start to see ourselves as something we're not, it's not helpful for our walk or following Christ in any way because we're just becoming self-deceived. And we think, oh, I've got it all together because I, I mean, we do it today. I, I'm more spiritual because I read this guy, this guy and this guy. Right. And we we start to have a false sense of where we are. I can quote so and so. So now I'm more spiritual than those people who don't. And we do that kind of thing all the time. And we begin to compare and then we start to look down and then we distort our own standing in Christ with one another. By the way, if you're one of those, maybe this doesn't ring true to you and you go, 
I don't really ever look down on other people. Maybe you're the person that that uh, is constantly kind of self-deprecating and you go, oh, no, no, everybody's smarter than I am. Right. I don't I can't really tell you anything. Don't ask me. I'm not that. Right. And sometimes we do that. And so you go, well, I'm not really puffed up at all. But I want to submit to you, if, if that's you and you're constantly doing that and you're constantly seeing yourself that way and, and, and judging yourself harshly, you're still judging. You're just doing it to yourself. And you're still very much like the puffed up person because you're still always looking at everybody compared to yourself and comparing yourself. And that's, that's a, not your standing in Christ and you're missing who you are in Christ when you start to do that. And although it, you may not be with the definition of what we'd say the puffed up person is, you have a lot in common with them. And I don't want you to miss what's being said here because you're judging yourself. And if you're doing that all the time, I just simply say to you, that's not your job. It's not your job to judge yourself. And actually, that's what Paul starts to say as a servant of Christ and what it looks like. So let's move to that and just think about that for a second. What does the servant of Christ look like? If the puffed up person is one that sees themselves as more than they are. And starts to look down on other people and starts to judge in that way. What does the servant of Christ look like? Look at verses 1 to 4. This is how you should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. That's where I get that title there, where we're getting it. This way Paul says it. Verse 2, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. And so what Paul says is is the exact opposite of the puffed up person. What he's telling us and what he's saying is I care so much more what God thinks than anybody else. I'm not worried about comparing myself and looking down on other people because I'm too worried about what God thinks and nothing else. And so when we start to look at what the servant is, is looks like, the ser- true servant of Christ is one that, that looks to God and what he's done for him in Jesus. And he's not so concerned about, oh, that guy's a worse sinner over there. He's worried about his own sin before God and the way Jesus answers that. And so Paul says, I don't even judge myself. Right. He says it doesn't even really matter what I think because it matters what God thinks. And so you start to get this picture of what it looks like to truly be a servant of Christ makes me think of a in Isaiah 66 and it tells us that God's on his throne and he sees all things and he needs nothing. But then he says, this is the one to whom I look, the one who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Right? I want you to think about that. You may have heard that verse a lot. We like to say that one. You go to it. Sometimes we say it enough that we forget to really think about what it's saying. God says, this is the one I look to, the one that trembles at my word, that cares so much more about what I say than what anyone else says. And that's what Paul's saying. Right? That's what the picture you get. You see it here in uh, verse 7, what a servant really looks like, the second half of 7. What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as you did not receive it? Right? Paul knows this as well as anyone Right. Just if you know Paul's story, he was uh, going out and persecuting the church and doing all these things and judging everyone and looking down on everyone. And I'm so smart and I've got it together. And God blinds him on the road to Damascus and says, what are you doing? Paul knows so clearly all that he has has been given to him by Christ. He knows it as well as anyone. And so he's telling him that's the case and that's the way it should be. 
And see, when we start to see that, as Paul saw it so clearly, and as we start to get that, we see that God is so perfect, and I care what he thinks, and not judging myself with other people, but I see who God is and who I am, and what happens is God is perfect, and I am a hopeless sinner, and I have no hope apart from what Jesus does and nothing else. And that's it. That's all I got. And that's what Paul's saying, and that's what a servant of Christ looks like. He'll expand the same idea in Ephesians 2. You know, right here he says it says it that uh, what do you have that you haven't received? Ephesians 2 really could be the way we explain that more clearly. Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 5 says this. And again, this is Paul writing, but writing to the church in Ephesus. And he says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's all of us. That's every single one of us apart from Christ. We're spiritually dead. We're dead in our sins, and we've got nothing to offer and all we've got going for us is we are running from God and we're following the passions of our flesh. But then verse four, Paul says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved. Right. He's saying the same thing that he says in verse seven. What do you have that you have not received? You were dead. It's God that made you come alive in Christ. That's who you are. And so he's reminding them and bringing them back to that and showing them. It's not looking down on other people. Right. Paul's lovingly trying to show them. That's why in verse 14, he says, I'm not trying to make you feel ashamed. I'm not trying to put you down by telling you this. I'm not trying to elevate myself and put you down. I'm trying to come alongside you and tell you that's all you have. That's all you have is Jesus and that's your whole standing and nothing else. And see, when we get that and he's reminding us that he's reminding the Corinthians that he's reminding us that as we read it, we need to hear that over and over because we so quickly move into judging and looking down. And it's by what I do and not what Christ has done. That's our heart's default. And we so quickly go back to that. But when we get this, when we get Ephesians two and when we get verse seven, it should radically reshape you. All those times when you start to get puffed up and you start to think, yeah, I'm doing pretty good and I have my quiet time and I'm doing this. Go read Ephesians 2. You were dead and it was only through Christ that he's brought you alive. And it it brings us back to reality, whereas the puffed up person has the wrong view of themselves. When we get back to the heart of the gospel and what Jesus has done, it brings us to a sinner. It brings us right back to where we should be should be. And so I want you just to think about that when you start to get down on someone and you start to look at that guy, right? It creeps into your mind or you're with somebody and they go, hey, did you hear what so-and-so did? Right. The gossip starts to come. Can you believe so? Right. But you remember, but God being rich in mercy while you were dead caused you to be alive. Right. When you start to go, oh, man, that guy over there, he is so messed. That group over there. They're the whole problem with our country. It's their morals and it's them and it's all their fault. And that. and we get into that type of thinking. What do you have that you didn't receive? So quickly we fall back into that. And we want to elevate ourselves and start pointing the finger at looking at everyone else. 
And so when we get that, though, it radically changes your, your identity and the way you see things, but it even changes the way you act and the way we should act. Look at verses 11 to 13 and what Paul says. Right? To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed, buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our hands. And when reviled, we bless. And when persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and still are like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. See, what Paul's saying is when you get the gospel and everything that you have is through what God has given you and nothing else in Jesus, it gives you a remarkable perspective that you didn't have before. And so when somebody's really, really ugly to you and really antagonistic, you can do as Paul says, when they revile, we bless. And that is hard. That is really hard. And if we're honest, we've all blown that. I've blown that. Somebody gets in your face and they're ugly and you just want to snap back. Right? You quickly want to go, oh, I'm going to tell you. You, know, you jump into that mode. Right? That's our sinfulness. Our self-centered, oh, I'm going to tell them. And we, we so quickly fall into that. And that is hard to do. And there's times when you, when you want to fight back and you want to get angry and you want to retaliate. You go, yeah, all right, let's go. I'm going to tell them. I'm going to let them hear it. Guess what? Biblically, you can't. It's not your job. And that's really hard for us. Now, it doesn't mean you don't speak the truth in love and say it, but when somebody presented with the truth retaliates and gets in your face and all those things, what are you to do? How do you do this? Right? Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 2. But if when you do good and suffer for it, endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. But when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. You hear that? How do you do it? You entrust yourself to him who judges justly. Justly, it's the same thing that Paul says there at the beginning of first Corinthians four. God's going to bring these things to light. And I'm trusting that God is going to judge and he is complete justice and he is completely all the things that we want to happen. And he's going to set these things right. And so I can love when people aren't lovable. When someone gets in my face and is angry, I can still love them back because I'm entrusting myself to who God is and what he's going to do. And so how do we move from this puffed up person to this servant of Christ? And it's a process and it takes time, but I want us just to think about two things briefly before we end on how we begin to do that. One being a heart level, the root level, and then one being more practical. Right. And so the heart level and then just the practical application of what we can do as as we leave here. And so just the heart level, the, the way that we move from being this puffed up person to truly being a servant of Christ is seeing what God has done for us. You're a sinner that's no different than any other sinner. The only difference is by grace you've been saved. Jesus made your eyes open to see it. And he pulled you out and he set you up and he's given this to you. That's the only difference. It's all what Christ has done for you. 
You are just as wicked as the worst sinner in the world. And the only reason that you're not doing some of those things is by God's grace. It's all you got. It's Jesus. And so when we think of it that way, it radically changes the way we go forth in our world and begin to love and relate to people and talk to them. Oftentimes we like to think it's what I've done, right? The Bible clearly says that no one is made righteous with God, made right in God's sight by his works. So quit acting like that's the case. And we all do that. Oh, God chose me or he did this because I'm a pretty good person. And we start to fall into that. You know, you were dead in your trespasses and sins and he caused you to become alive in Christ. And so that should completely remove any of the puffed up. Right. That's that's the beginning of it. You are saved by grace alone. We say that so often that it almost becomes commonplace. Grace means undeserved merit. He gave you something you didn't deserve by Jesus and what he did for you. And so we have to come back to that over and over and over. And when, when we start to get that, it leads you to your identity as in him. My right standing before God is in Jesus and nothing else. And that should radically change the way we go and, and we judge others and we compare us. We don't, you don't need to compare yourselves to others because your identity is Jesus and him alone. He's done all of it for you. You don't have to worry about how you how you measure up with this guy over here and this guy over here. And you don't have to begin to do that. You don't have to look down on other people to make yourself feel better because you have been saved and washed clean and made new and all those things completely by what Jesus does for you. So you don't have to do it. You don't have to begin to make those judgments and see it. And when that happens, you're now free to love and serve others for who they are in themselves and now not how they make you feel about yourself. Because you're secure. You're secure because the God of the universe loved you enough to come down and lay down his life for you. And so I don't have to worry about those things. I'm free to love other people. Right. If you're beating yourself up and you're the person who's who's maybe not puffed up in the way we've been talking about, but you look up to everybody else and you're constantly going, I don't have anything to offer. And I'm, I'm not. It's the same thing. The gospel says it does the same thing for you. It shows us the God of the universe loves you infinitely and you are precious in his sight. And all those times you go, I don't have anything. To, that's a lie. You have the God of the universe now dwelling inside of you because of what Christ has done for you and you are his. So you don't believe that. You don't get so down. That, that's the wonderful thing about the gospel. It, it takes us down a step when we get puffed up. But when you're beaten up and you're in the gutter and you go, I don't have anything to offer, it pulls you right up. And it says, no, you are precious in the sight of your creator. You are loved and honored by the only eyes in the universe that truly count. And so you don't have to worry about judging. And that's hard. And it's hard when people are judging you and, and when that's happening. But you trust yourself to the one who judges justly. You know, if you're, you sit here and you're overwhelmed with the evil in the world. And that's easy to be. It's easy to look at the things that are going on and, oh, we've got to go out and do stuff, right? We've got to take this back. We've got to be the ones to go out and judge everybody and tell them and put them in their place. What's the answer to that? The answer is you look to the cross. Because what the cross shows us and what Jesus does is that God cares deeply 
about all things and about evil and he is going to set it right and he's proven that on the cross and he he deals with sin so seriously that he would come in and enter the story and take it on himself and he says i've got it and i've done this for you and so now your job is this you're free to just go forth and to love people you're free to go forth and, and pronounce the truth as lovingly as you possibly can. This is who God is, and this is the way we relate to him in Christ. And you say that, and then when people are ugly or angry or mean or whatever, guess what? You just get to love them. You don't have to do anything else. That's it. You speak the truth in love, and then you love people. That's your job. And you leave the rest to God. He says, I've got it. I don't need you to do the rest. I've got it all. And so it frees us in a new way to go forth. Now, practically, how do we do That's very hard to do. And I recognize that. I realize that. I realize that in my own heart. Right? When somebody gets in your face, it's really hard. And so let me just give you one practical application. We'll end here. Look at verses 14 to 17. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And I urge you then be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. And so just very practically, when somebody's in your face and these things are happening and these situations arrive and how do I love people that are unlovely and how do I not fall into judging? You need other people to remind you, right? Just as Paul says, I'm I'm admonishing you as my beloved children. I'm not here to shame you. I'm here to walk with you and help you in this. This is, this is all throughout the Bible. You, You can't do this, follow Christ in this way without that. You're not supposed to. Go make disciples of all nations. Go out and we read all through the New Testament. The way we're supposed to be walking this out together and doing it, you see it right here, that we need one another to remind us. Right? When you get frustrated and you start to get angry, we need other people to go, it's okay. Right? We need people to come along and to help us. We need friends who love Jesus so much that they care more what Jesus thinks than what we think and they will be willing to tell us so. And that's not easy to do. I think it's even harder to be the one telling the friend sometimes. But we need friends who, who we need people, we need brothers and sisters in Christ in our life to, to step up and, and look us right in the face and say, what do you have that wasn't given to you? Right? To, to remind us we are free to love all people because God has got this. And when you're Friend is dejected and beaten. Go, man, God, the God of the universe loves you infinitely. You have so much to offer. We need one another. It's, it's right here and it's all through. And so as we think about how we begin to do that and we live that way and we do that and we go forth and we proclaim truth and do it as lovingly as possible as we need one another. And I pray that that would always be so clear to us as a body that that's the case. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. For your word, we thank you for uh, 1 Corinthians. We thank you for this letter that you inspired and you've written. We thank you for the way that just in all these things, right there in verse 7, what do we have that we weren't given is the gospel. is the clear picture of all that we have you've given to us in Jesus. And we pray that that would just be so clear 
each and every moment, moment by moment, day by day, that we would walk trusting in what you've done for us. We pray that you would empower us and strengthen us to to love beyond anything that's in us, that your love would overflow, that we would be so taken with what you've done for us that we would extend it to every person we come into contact with. We thank you for the way that you love us. We thank you for the way that you've forgiven us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.